All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of Creative Maestro. This is the London series, and we have the supreme honor by being joined by one of the coolest Londoners in history, author, mentor, and educator, all the way from Hackney, Miss Danielle Ennis. Danielle, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. So how are you doing? I'm good. You know, just just hanging in there, trying to maintain, trying to you're trying to focus. And I actually have to thank you for having me waking up so early because Danielle and I were just talking about me waking up on a Saturday because it's 7 a.m. where I am in New Jersey and it's noon and in London where Danielle is. And we were saying that the only reason that we wake up this early on a Saturday is probably for a flight. And it actually felt like a, a flight day today. So it was cool. It was a lot of excitement. <laughs> Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I mean, I was I was um, very impressed, um, but I miss flights. But because okay, we got good things to do. <laughs> Absolutely. So, as a mentor, I feel like during these times, people are really leaning on you for support. What has that process been like in the past couple of months, especially starting with you know the pandemic and then you know lead, leading up until now? Yeah, I mean, it's been, um, I think one of the hardest things when you're a mentor or when you're just in any kind of supporting space, you have to, you have to be able to kind of go through any serious changes yourself, right? So me as an individual, I'm obviously having to deal with and process the pandemic, but at the same time, keep enough consistency to be able to support someone through their own journey. Um, it's been, it's been challenging because I guess a lot of the young people I work with they're trying to better their lives in different ways. Um, it was, already takes a lot of maybe motivation or trying to keep their mind in the best place to make that progress. So to then be in a situation where something so large and outside of our control now has a part to play, it, it can also it can almost take people off of the rails um, if they feel deflated, if they feel too disheartened. So it's been tough, but I think just remaining, it just just remaining consistent staying in touch trying to find um the joy the positives along the way just letting them know they're not alone um and letting people just present however they wish you know one day they might be fuming the other day they might be calm um but yeah it's taken a lot of problem solving as as well you know trying to keep people on track even now it's hard yeah it's true and completely understandable and i just appreciate speaking as someone who identifies with being an empath as well i appreciate you you know sharing that that wisdom that love and this that support as an empath yourself and out of curiosity when did you first realize that you had these empathic abilities and how did that transition to you being a mentor um so i'd say you know i've always been i've always been someone who's quite passionate i've always had lots of uh, friendships in my local area um I've always been able to, yeah, just to empathize with people. But I'd say in my early 20s, I started to feel a tug just to try and reach out to young people that maybe were kind of dealing with what I dealt with, but didn't know how to navigate what, what I'd refer to as the ends. You know, growing up in a certain part of London, um, how, do you, how do you navigate that and keep your head above water, you know, and come out the other side? So in my early 20s, um, I started to kind of have more conversations, even just with young people within my family, but then also through some um, work that I was doing during breaks in university, 
I was doing work with a, a youth organization. So I was already around young people that maybe needed that encouragement, whether it was my peers or people that were younger than me. Um, and I just jumped into that full time really and started to tap into that space. And I knew I was, I knew I was um, gifted to do it in that way because even all the staff that were older than me kept looking to me for leadership in how to deal with uh, the young people or how to, what was the best practice for them um, and as a young person, to be an advisor to people that are, you know, in some cases twice your age, you know, it, it shows that you must be able to do, do something right, you know, to connect with people and help build and uplift the community. So, yeah, early 20s. That's amazing. And just a little context for everyone, you know, listening. Danielle and I used to attend the University of Miami together once upon a time ago, and I actually got to witness this this type of maturity, you know, in person. So it was very interesting to see because whenever we would go out on Miami beach or, you know, South beach or Sobe, as we like to call it, it was always Danielle who was essentially the most responsible one in the group. So everyone was looking to her to be essentially the, the motherly <laughs> figure. So she, she isn't, she isn't, you know, just talking to talk. She's, she's authentically been this way for a while. So it's just a joy to see what you're doing now. And, you know, just to see your growth and development since Miami. Oh, I appreciate that, bro. That was, uh, Miami days were the best days, honestly. <laughs> and I cherish so many things that I made from that time. It was so crazy. I loved it. <laughs> uh, yes, I, I definitely do as well. And then since you are from London and you spent time abroad, mm -hmm. did spending time abroad shape how you view let's say community as a, like as a worldwide whole. Cause I know, unfortunately in society, we like to separate people, whether it be race, whether it be class, whether it be, you know, gender and, or just, just, uh, national, you know, nationalism, like did, did it, uh, expand your view yeah. of your collective view of the world? Yes. Yeah, it did. I mean, I loved, I love, uh, traveling and then, and the first, the actual first time when I went to live abroad, I've, mo I've moved a few times. So I, I've obviously grown up in London. Um, I moved to Brighton for uni, which is just like south, mm -hmm. um, basically a little further south, not too far. But that was a different demographic again, uh, mixing with different kinds of people than I grew up with, shaped different worldview. Um, even things like protesting, like my university had a lot of students all the time that were protesting about different things. Wow. So it even opened up my mind to just seeing that kind of activity on site. Like I remember trying to go to class and there was one day where like all the students had chained themselves to like the, the front door of the building. <laughs> so like we couldn't go in. So I'm like, what are you protesting about today? You know, so I saw that kind of activism for whatever those people were passionate about, right? Then I, and the reason why I went to Brighton was so that I could study law with American studies so that I could get to America. Ah. Yeah. So I was already, yeah, I was, that, that was my strategy. Um, and actually before I even touched on America, I also lived in Cuba for a few months when I was 18. Wow. Um, and yeah, absolutely loved it. And afterwards like found out apparently my great grandfather was Cuban. I never knew that before, but um, out there again, I had such a love for the, the passion, the heart of Cuban people, learning more about um, their culture, what the struggle was as well, gave me such a, my, my shift, my, my view of just the Western world in the sense of 
how we have so much of everything and don't appreciate everything we have um, completely came out of that experience of living in Cuba. They had so much joy and love for each other, even though they had less options than what we had, right? So I came back to the UK and I'm like, okay, so everyone's spoiled and miserable. <laughs> like, this is just ridiculous. We need more joy, you know, and more appreciation. So by the time I came to America, I'd had some of these different worldviews. Um, and for me in the States, I was just like, you know what? I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna lay everything aside that I think I might know or things that I might have seen. You know, it's always through media, like through what I've seen in films or what I've heard through the music. And let me just see what I find with the people that I meet there. Um, and it was so funny because the first few weeks they kept putting us all in the international group of students. And I was like, bruv, <laughs> I'm not here to be with all the other British people. I'm going to be with the American. Right. Um, and thankfully made some great friendships really quick. And I, I loved my time with, um, I love the America that I saw through my friends, you know, and the time that I spent with my friends. I loved the ambition. Um, you know, there was really a heart of, you know, we're going to do our thing and we're going to work hard and we're going to be great at it. I loved that. Um, I loved the sense of, you know, school spirit. You know, it's, it's funny, we don't have it like that here in the UK. You know, when someone <laughs> says you're okay, right, it means something. Oh, here, you, you, you see this you right know? here. <laughs> the flag I, and everything. I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I loved it because it was a sense of unity, togetherness. Um, and then being able to just go around the States. I just love the landscape in, in that way. Like, it's so beautiful, so many different um, sites that you have, you know, in your own country. So, again, I came home and, and I think I just took all the best bits that I really enjoyed about the States and, and my friends and conversations I had. And that's definitely contributed to who I am now as well. Absolutely. And that makes so much sense because as someone who also identifies with Wonderlust, one of my favorite things is exposing myself to different cultures that I wouldn't see, you know, inside my own country. So the simple fact that you can go abroad and then you can see that how and you brought up a brilliant point about the media, how how the media will represent a certain culture or society, which isn't accurate all the time. So sometimes you need to go in person and actually see it for yourself. Then you actually see the similarities that you have and how we're all similar as the human being race. Yeah, yeah, 100 percent. Yeah, I, I loved it. So now, you know, I so for those who don't know, Danielle is an amazing author. And I've been asking her all my questions because I do aspire to be an author one day. And what I appreciate the most about Mind, and Mind is a essentially a development and guidebook for teenage girls who might be going through those similar things that you may you you know you went through when you were younger. And I feel like it's so important because, as we know, as ch you know, as young minds develop, their frontal lobe literally isn't that developed. So they're stuck in micro thinking as opposed to macro and long term thinking. So I thought it was a brilliant resource. And could you just go? Yeah, I guess talk about the the inspiration of the book and how it's been received on on your end. Yeah. So thank you so, for those kind words. I um, you know, it's funny. I've kept a diary since I was eight years old, right? So it's just 
so wild so i've got these you know i've got a whole bag full of diaries you know it started off with me complaining about um oh, you know i'm not allowed to play out today <laughs> to talking about family matters to then you know going into the turmoil of the teenage years and what happened was and i and i still keep a journal now i just do it maybe more quarterly but i i journal my life basically um that's one of my other like releases so um and it's so funny because like i grew up in inner city i grew up around gangs and stuff like that so people might see me outside and then i'll go home after a frustrating day and then i'm writing in my diary like it's just like so many different worlds right right so um i i basically one day ended up reading from my teenage diaries and i was so stunned at how much i was feeling and going through it was like a hurricane i thought what the heck i didn't realize that I felt so much at that time. Hmm. And it made me think, you know what, when teenagers say you guys don't understand, I thought, no, they're right. Because until I read through my own words, I was like, yeah, my teenagers weren't that bad. You know, you just, because you, you summarize things from years ago, you can't remember. So I thought, okay, at that point I was doing, so I do lots of different bits of work. And at that point I was doing work um, supporting uh, vulnerable or youth that are at risk, right? Um, so again, just inner city work. And I'd often share parts of my life um, to try and demonstrate points or to start a discussion, or I might use a drama or a film and pick out a controversial part of that film or drama and make it a discussion point, just to bring it some life, right? So I thought, you know what, why don't I try and you know see if i can create what i do in the classroom in literature because people have always asked me to do lots of different work i can't do everything i can't reach everywhere and um it was almost like trying to put some of those sessions in a book so it was difficult because it's not really it's not been done before like that you know this is the live you know storytelling of, of, of someone who's very much here and still breathing and then teaching at the same time and so far um, I've been blown away at how effective it's been for people. Because um, in, in a way, it's an experiment. I was like, okay, let me put my diary out there and put some tools in it and try and make it into like a story and see if it can translate. Um, and it has. So you've got families. I remember a lot of fathers reached out to me like, oh my gosh, like I did not, it's like I've been struggling to deal with like how to talk to my daughter or what could be going on for her mind. This has been so helpful to consider. Um, mothers have messaged where they've sat and read through those the, the book with their young people there's been mentors using it in scotland um i heard there were social workers that had some in new york at one point as well um and then one of the top boarding schools um for girls in the uk um yeah some of them have been excellent advocates um in supporting the book and putting it in their library as well so it's it's crossed you know, ethnicities, cross-race, it's cross-class, it's been an effective tool um, for people point-blank period. And the young people, most importantly, they've really enjoyed it too. So they've just said to me that they like how real it is. It's helped them to um, actually have more empathy for other people. Um, interestingly, a mentor reached out and said, one of my young people actually has started to apologize to her teachers because of a chapter that we read in your book. Um, and again, one of a friend was like, oh, my, my, my niece has got a better relationship with her mother after reading your book. Like it's, it's done more than I, I even could have anticipated. And I'm just, I'm just so happy because that's the whole point. It's a tool, you know, for people and families and professionals. So 
It's good. It's good. And there's another one to come. Oh, okay. (laughs) Definitely excited about that. And I just appreciate the overall vulnerability because I would say at least in Western society, we attribute vulnerability as a weakness. But in fact, it's a wonderful strength. And when you're able to be that authentic and transparent with others, it just, you know, this resonates with other people in a much more transparent way. So I, I just think it's it's brilliant that you, you know, that you're you're able to do that. And then you, you're also seeing the, the benefits that other people get to, you know, you know, to get from it, which I think is amazing. Thanks, Josh. Yeah, it wasn't until like right on on the verge of like release date, I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> like what on earth are you about to do? But I said, you know what? I've seen how it can work, and I think with some of the most, um, oh, I don't work with with young people that are you know struggling with mental health. So I remember working with a young lady. She she came to me after she tried to take her life three times in a row, right? Um, and I remember thinking how on earth am I going to, like, this is such a fragile situation in the sense of, you know, I'm not with her 24-7. How can I create this link? And how can I, you know, how can we tap in close enough for her to know even when she's by herself in her apartment that she can still message and reach me? Um, And I remember I shared an experience of something that happened to me. And it was the first time she looked at me properly and lifted her head and fully engaged. And I said, you know what, that's the magic. And after that, I was like, that's what you need to do. Like, if it's going to take that to hook people in for them to say, oh, so you do understand, then that was it for me. You know, it's the same. I've done work with young people facing addictions or uh, I've done a lot of work with gangs. Um, It's the same. I use some of my own experiences growing up. And especially with the boys, the boys will look at me with actual respect because they're like, Dee knows what she's talking about. She's not just talking at us. She's, She's been there. She's grown up around it. So I've, I've seen the power of a story. It does, it takes courage. It takes more courage to share than it does to just sit there and be quiet and, and criticize, right? Um, so I've learned that vulnerability is, is a strength and I'll use it. I have to live my truth. I don't care. I have to. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that's a wonderful, a wonderful uh, example for the younger generation because unfortunately they are correct. Usually the people who are, in their lives as a authority figure, not necessarily their parents or anything. And, and like you said, yeah. sometimes their parents, but usually it could be a, a person who's trying to, you know, either a welfare system that, you know, that is getting paid to do social outreach and perhaps can't really identify with that plight. So it's just really falling on deaf yeah. ears. Like you're, you're only here because you're getting the paycheck. You don't really identify with me, especially if there's some element of privilege yeah. involved. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, just for anyone who doesn't know the book, uh, the book link is in the description uh, to your uh, link tree, Danielle. So the the link tree link will give you a link to the book uh, mind, which is on Amazon, both UK and and uh, American one as well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You can get them on both. Okay. Awesome. Absolutely. And I actually uh, gifted it to my younger cousins who just became teenagers because I know as an empath, I'm not going to be able to understand those things that that, you know, young ladies go through. So I thought it would be a great resource to them. And, you know, they they actually appreciated the book as well. So thank you for having that resource. 
Yeah, the next one is going to be about healthy relationships. Ah. So, okay. Next one <laughs> is, yeah. is this healthy relationships yeah, with yeah. people, or is it more speci- uh, specific on dating? It's going to be a, it's going to be a bit of both. It's going to be probably heavier. Well, yeah, it's going to be slightly heavier on dating. The reason is I, but it's going to link to both, right? I find that your mindset and your relationships are foundation, right, in life, regardless of your age. It's how your mind is doing, and it's how your circles doing. Mm-hmm. How you got people that that are uplifting you or not? Um, so a lot of the time, especially again working with young people around their friendship groups or the relationships that they're engaging in um so it will be about your friendships um or healthy ways to kind of engage uh with with family maybe but again when it comes to relationships romantic relationships there'll be quite a few chapters on that as well so yeah but it will be enough to touch on all kind of areas um but yeah so it's a it's an interesting it's an interesting one and that's going to come out in um in january Oh, okay. Definitely look, be looking for that. And also, you may be interested in being a guest on, I actually have a, a dating podcast platform called Poetic Charm. So perhaps you can uh, one day grace us with your presence on there as well. And give this give some advice. Yeah, yeah. Ah, this is so funny. I'm up for it. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> Absolutely. And then so... <laughs> it's like a challenge, you know, like... Oh. And then for people who may not know, could you give a brief background about Full Spectrum? Yes. Okay. (laughs) All right. So um, I'm also part of an education technology company. Um, It's so funny because I was like, I thought you were going to bring it up. So we are basically making, we're doing work around neurodiversity. Okay. So, um, just as a quick summary, so that might be those who have a different um, like neural wiring. So those who might be um, autistic or they say dyspraxic dyslexia, things like that. And what we've often found is particularly, you know, within the journey of education, but also in the corporate world, a lot of the time learning and just working, people aren't adequately supported um, for them the way that their mind is is wired. So particularly in schools, this can end up with a lot of trouble for um, students because sometimes there's people that are getting expelled for, you know, they say bad behavior and actually it's because they're not engaged in the way that they need to. Um, But at the same time, you've also got uh, teachers and um, education bodies that are feeling the strain of trying to meet pupil needs and having so much limited resources within the schools. So basically what we've been developing um, is how we're going to merge AI um, and tech along with psychology and assessments to essentially find out more about how that person's mind is mapped and then put in the content that will help them to develop that as well as insights for professionals and then comms and insights for families and homes as well. Because essentially it's a wraparound support. Um, for years, I've been um, CEOs of, of, well, you know, we're like Soul Family, so another brother, um, Andre, and uh, uh, we met through mutual friends that we've got in the social entrepreneurship space. And, you know, at the end of the day, he could see the work that I was doing in personal support and interventions with young people. So 
my approach has always been it can't just be tick boxes it can't just be one size fits all i'd always try and understand a person and then literally make that whole support package bespoke to them it has to be um then i started reading into neuroscience because i find it so interesting find that how you know we can change our minds um in that way and because of my own interests and insights and journey it slotted right in with what it was um that, that he was doing in terms of just trying to find this team that got it um, and was ready to do this work so yeah we're um i'm someone who i like to do a lot of legwork before i before i talk too much on things but um yeah we've had a lot of interest and we've had interest from around the world it's not just being the uk um, we've got some incredible um, experts that, again, are known globally in the ed tech space that are supporting us and love what we're doing, um, as well as the fact that during COVID, <laughs> our, our idea or our solution, I should say, is coming to the forefront increasingly because especially the social sector, um, they don't have the tech. Mm. So let's say, for example, like when COVID even started settling in, like friends that were maybe in finance firms or, you know, friends obviously that are already working in tech, they were out and working from home from like February. Like in the UK, the firms didn't play. Like some of my friends have been like, we don't even know how long we've been at home now, right? But if you was working in the social space, they were on the ground for as long as possible only had a bit of respite and then went back out again because they just don't even have the proper infrastructure. So there's been an increasing problem because everyone trying to work remotely has also meant that some of the most vulnerable in our communities um, has actually, they've, they've been at a loss during this time because they haven't had the, the right support. So yeah, it, it's actually turning out to be quite timely um, as a solution. So yeah, that's what we're doing. We're merging tech and the social space for the benefit of neurodiverse individuals. And later down the line, from uh, what we learn, we'll be able to map that out for all people in the sense of, if you want to find out insights about your mind, you'll be able to do that, you know, just fine um, like, and a few years down the line as well. So yeah, busy. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to lie. It sounds incredibly fascinating because as someone who's also into tech, and who appreciates the let's say the the deliberate conscious ability to create a neural pathway and that's how you create habits so you help people create those positive habits yeah. their trajectory in life is going to be that much better so i think it's amazing yeah 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 it's exciting you know i like a challenge um it's been crazy because for me i i'm just like in books all the time because I you know I've got to learn more about tech and we've got again we've we're so fortunate we've got such an amazing team um and there's people who you know we have all the expertise in the tech but for me I'm actually um heading up so I'm in, in the team now as a co-founder but I'm also heading up um I'm the chief product officer in the sense of I'm overseeing the whole product coming together. So that means I have to oversee and link in with the tech guys. It means I have to oversee with the designing, which I can't wait to just get some diversity into the imagery and the things that we use, right? Right. Um, and that means I have to continue to stay linked in with psychology, the psychology arm of it as well. So yeah, it's it's a lot to bring together, but it's it's like nothing it's it's not impossible and this is what we're doing. So yeah. 
absolutely it's very exciting stuff and i feel like that is a a result of you being in the london area and for those who haven't been to london you know because there's some people have not i've been fortunate enough to be there you know go there a couple of times dated someone who was a londoner as well i actually got to live there during study abroad you know so i i again london's definitely going to be one of the places on my list that i would consider being a, a resident of if you know once i become bi-continental so for those who don't know could you explain how wonderful a place and how diverse london is yeah and i didn't know you did a study abroad year here that's awesome oh yeah in uh the summer of 2009 uh the university of miami had a uh, a summer course it was a summer abroad course so it was six credits and we got to oh, stay yeah. in in london in the bloomsbury oh, section yeah yeah because uh jess actually did the same she did the same program yeah, 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 yeah. Now I remember now. Okay. Um, all right. So London, yeah, London is uh, is so diverse. You know, I've to be honest, I've always loved living here. The only thing that I make a joke about is I just wish we had more consistent sunshine. <laughs> um, we have so many. It's so true. Like, like, ah! um, we have. Oh my gosh. I just feel like everyone's in London, really, in the sense of there's so many different cultures. Um, I've even used to make a joke growing up. I used to say, you know, you'd, you'd make friends and when you'd go into their house, it's like going into a different country <laughs> in the sense of you'll hear the music, you'll smell the mood, you know, you'll smell the food. Um, and just to be able to enjoy the different cultures um, growing up. So even now I've, I've got friends that are, um, in, in my area, there's a lot of um, Southern Asian um, people growing up and so let's say for example again lots of friends that um have come from africa have come from um uh, portugal have come from uh, scotland I, like just everywhere there's so many places um i've had neighbors that are brazilian um uh, a lot of eastern european like there's just such a mix and the good thing about that is it means that you're exposed to more if you're open-minded okay? mm. you know it's a, a whole conversation at this time <laughs> around the world um yeah but yeah you can learn so much about where people are coming from um and i know i've been to i've been to asian weddings beautiful um i've learned more about traditional african food um definitely opened my doors and shared a lot of my heritage which is jamaican culture um Wagua. as well as that it means that <laughs> Oh, not bad, not bad. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the good thing as well that I find is it means that you're able to, um, people come with different thinking, right? If we're just all the same and we're coming from the same background, then our perception and our solutions or our ideas just look the same. Um, so to talk with people that have just different minds, it's helpful sometimes to create solutions. So, for example, like there's friends that that do work out and my friends are Ghanaian, but they're also doing work that links back to Ghana. You know, I'm doing the same here with what links back to the Jamaican community. Um, but people mix all the time. You know, we have such diverse places to eat. You know, it's not. I remember a friend, actually, where, where is he from in the States? A friend came over and um, I said, have you had Turkish food before? And he was like, no. 
And I said, I love Turkish food. Let's go for Turkish, you know? And like, he had this big, like this huge platter and he was like, oh my gosh. I said, I know, <laughs> you know, it's great. Even little things like that, being able, because I love to eat, being able to um, enjoy those things all the way through to, okay, you know what, maybe there's talk on politics or maybe there's talk on history or um, it just changes the worldview, you know. You can just enjoy so much more, I think, if you're open to it. Um, and I've, I've always enjoyed growing up here for that reason, really. I've, I've loved London. Um, even in terms of economics, in terms of opportunities, in terms of work, again, there's so much, there's so many different opportunities. And even to see, due to tech, the way that people are creating their own companies or creating their own um, organisations, and again, being able to employ friends or being able to, like, so much of my money often goes on uh, freelancers because of all the different bits of projects that I do. You know, I'm. I have lots of different people that I work with in that sense, you know, so it's nice to be able to, to do that and to thrive in that way here as well. You know, we're all quite connected. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think I've, I've, I've really enjoyed being here. Absolutely. And I always got those vibes being in London. I just love the, the, you know, the diversity, the inclusion, the, the celebration of cultures that sometimes we don't always see in places like America or other countries in the world. So it's, uh, I would say it's a proper melting pot. I feel like New York City definitely has a lot of different different types of energy as well, but I think it's still uh, a, a little bit more, let's say segregated in terms of cultures than, than a place like London is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're all, it is, there is a lot of, I, it just, you know, London's, London's small in a sense of, you know, we all have to kind of, we're all alongside each other here. You know, we just are. I remember even funny times like um, the World Cup. I always find the World Cup hilarious <laughs> because um, you can hear your neighbours. And if you didn't know what country they were from, you'll figure it out. You know? <laughs> um, it's, it's just hilarious. I'm like, it's like United Nations. Like I remember one year, oh, we had a Jamaican family upstairs that were next door or a couple doors down and then there were uh, Brazilians a couple doors down and then on the other side, I can't remember, but you could hear people cheering for their teams, <laughs> you know, and it was just so funny because I was like, it's not the United Nations, like literally, you know, um, and now obviously you have a flip side of it in terms of if there's people that aren't really, that, that don't want to mix and that usually happens outside of London. Mm. Um, outside of London isn't, I don't, the main cities have the same kind of vibe, but outside of London isn't, yeah, it isn't as mixed. It's not quite the same story. Yeah, that makes sense. And I feel like it, uh, it, it shapes the world to be a, a better and more open place when you have all these cultures, you know, mixing and thriving together. So that, that creates that sense of unity within a human race as opposed to dividing it by, you know, ethnicities and, and class. So I think it's it's a great uh it's a great ethos to and a great environment to to stimulate a mind. Yeah, 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 definitely. I mean again, but I guess, you know, we you know, we'll sit here as, as two people that enjoy and, and learn from other cultures, right? 
So for us, we you know we see the value in that, and I think I think even here in London, because it's because everyone is side by side, you know, you you have to just get along with each other. You're gonna have to learn, you know, you know. For example, some cultures are louder than other cultures, mm. right? As in, like some of their some of their truths, right? So so not so. Again, you're going to have to learn and understand, or people are going to have to have a level of understanding with each other. But I think that happens fairly, fairly well in London. Um, but we definitely do enjoy different parts of of um, each other's cultures in, in different ways. You know, even stuff like carnival. You know, uh, Notting Hill Carnival. Um, it's just so interesting to me because now so many people from around the world come for Notting Hill Carnival, and although it's kind of got its own past in terms of you know that came predominantly out of the Caribbean community that came here um so the the Trinidadians in particular um you know now it's become such a big thing in the sense of people have understood okay it's a gathering it's a day of enjoyment um it's a day to enjoy music uplift to have you know have fun and represent your culture um but it has people coming from everywhere around the world, as well as in London now, just to walk through and look at the parades, look at the costumes, um, and just see that too, you know? So, yeah, I, I think as far as it goes for having different different people alongside each other, like London's been able to do that. Absolutely. And I just appreciate how open you are to different cultures. So I'm just asking out of curiosity, are there any other cultures and countries that you have planned to visit and experience and learn from in the future? Um, I haven't gone to, so I haven't gone to um, like Asia as yet. Ah. That was one of the big so there was a few plans that, you know, have changed. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, I'd wanted to, right, right. So I wanted to, um, yeah, I wanted to start going around Asia. And I think the thing for me was I wanted to try and do uh, uh, a few places in one. Um, so that's why I hadn't gone yet. A lot of, but I wanted to do Asia and I also wanted to see more of Africa. Um, I almost went to Ghana in the November last year with one of my good friends. Um, she's Ghanaian, and she goes back quite often. I like to see things from a local view. So me and her will definitely still go back um, another time. Um, also want to go and do a safari one day. I've heard safaris in Kenya is amazing as well. Yes. Um, so yeah, more of Asia and more of Africa. Um, yeah, I wanted to see more of, of Europe at some point uh, before the whole Brexit thing, you know, um, started to take a hold but i'll still do that at some point but i think the further traveling first and you know so as soon as yeah right plans, um, <laughs> i said i can't keep coming back to miami and jamaica every year i have to do something different. absolutely i've been to lots of countries i've, I've been to about 27 yeah, wow yeah. oh yeah that's that's very cool so what about you where do you wear like Oh, I mean, how much how much time do you got? Because, you know, me, I'm always plotting to travel someplace new. (laughs) But at the same time, I love going back to places I've been to before. So because of the culture and vibes, definitely Toronto and London and Manchester, because, you know, I'm a I'm Manchester United fan. So definitely got to check out Old Trafford. Um, I specifically have never been to Spain before. 
which is odd. So I have to check out Spain, you know, Barcelona and, and whatnot and Ibiza, right? At, at least once. Uh, definitely, yeah. definitely more Africa. Yeah. It is my goal to have my entire family, which which will be a challenge, but I'm definitely up for the challenge to bring them to Africa and go on a, a safari and then take them to different areas. So like the, you know, Ivory Coast and Ghana and, you know, I, Liberia and things yeah. like that. In addition yeah. to Egypt, because I've been to Egypt before as well yeah. and would be curious about South Af uh, South Africa. Yeah. And of, and of course, Brazil. I haven't been to Brazil. Even my own parents have been to Brazil. I haven't been to Brazil. So I definitely got to check yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, me too. I've gone to, I, I went to, um, but it was, it was more actually to do with, to a degree, like overseas community work. But I went to El Salvador um, and I went to uh, Costa Rica. Ah. I said, you know, I want to actually go to different parts of the Americans as well. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Big facts. And like you said, Asia as well. So obviously, you know, Thailand, Vietnam, especially because I know I don't know about you, but for me, I routinely like yeah. on a monthly basis, I check uh, airline flights as well as Airbnb listings just to see what living in a certain place would like. Because for me personally, whenever I travel, I only do Airbnb. And I grew up as a person who absolutely loved yeah. hotels. But Airbnb, you actually get to feel like a local and actually have that lifestyle of living in that place. So for me, you're just able to soak up even more culture than you would at a hotel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny. I am. Um, I. I'm kind of like a mixture. This is going to sound funny, but there's little things like I don't want to have to think. It actually it depends where I go. Because sometimes I know this is like a rest and re like reset kind of holiday. So I don't want to cook. I don't want to do nothing. But I always <laughs> go out, right? But I just want to think about some of the practical things. And then it's so funny because the first time I went to, um, I went to a really nice Airbnb in Paris. Met up with a friend from, um, well, another came. We went and met up after what? Probably about like eight years. She just said, I'm coming to Paris. I said, I'm coming to link you there. Like, there's no way you're going to be that close. I'm coming. Um, but it was lovely. It was such a nice experience doing it that way and feeling local. It was funny when, like, we'd go out and we'd come back and maybe we need some food. And we're like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> so what are we going to rustle up, you know? But because um, the used to close really early out there. Like, the food places would close quite early. Really? And I weren't used to that. And neither was she. Um, but I enjoyed, I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. We're usually just out here. You know, I know for me, usually you can find somewhere that's always open till like 3 a.m., 2, 3 a.m. Of course, or at least that yeah. delivers, right? Uber but Eats. It or... wasn't really like that. Wow, yeah. okay. That's very, yeah, that, that's good to really, know. Um, not really, really well. oh. Yeah, I mean, neither did we. The first few times coming back... <laughs> <laughs> from like a bar or a club or something we'd be like um okay let's just get a snack or something but yeah i enjoyed it um i'll definitely be doing more airbnbs yeah absolutely i mean you got to get some fish and chips late night sometimes it's a, a nece necessity <laughs> <laughs> yes so i actually saw on your website which is phenomenal by the way that you're a member of the Royal Society of Arts. So for those who do not know, could you explain what that is? Yeah. So, 
Okay, so the Royal Society of Arts is, this is the tagline for it, right? So it's a hub for creative and innovative um, individuals who work to create solutions to society's largest challenges. Mm. Okay. So it's a historical fellowship. It's like, it's like, I think, I think it's like 260 years old, something like that. Wow. Um, so obviously it's always had a lot of its own interesting roots in terms of uh, where the first philanthropists and things like that, you know, who those groups of people were too. But let's say, for example, uh, Charles Dickens was a member um, He because he doubled up as a philanthropist, didn't know that. Then there's certain charity work um, in the UK. There's a lady called Marie Curie that's well known in the UK for her cancer research work, but she was a member. Um, then you've got some controversial figures um, like Karl Marx, who was the one who penned communism. So the whole idea of communism, um, I guess that was what he thought, you know, was a, was a new idea. And the whole aim is to try and make society progressive in some way. Mm. Um, I ended up getting invited into it uh, because of a friend that I met during a coaching course. And uh, she was a, an older lady. Um, she'd been doing a lot of work in social enterprise. Um, she was a positive psychologist. And um, she just loved the way that I worked as, as a coach. And she was so impressed that she just said, look, I just really would love if we continue to stay connected after this and we can continue to coach each other. So again, you know, she was a senior to me and I'm really fortunate at times because I've been able to work with a lot of seniors and um, we just we carried on having a, a friendship. And then one year she just said to me, um, you know, I'd like you to really come and talk at a women's retreat. So I was, this is just when I was starting to do little bit kind of engagements that I was getting. So it was still stressing me out, but I kind of knew um, that this was coming, right? I, I knew, I kind of had an unction that it was coming, so I knew. So I said, okay, um, you know, I'll, I'll do it. But I was so scared all the way down. <laughs> I remember making the journey to the conference. I was just like, like, oh my gosh, maybe I'll just get It's hilarious. But I went down there um, and um, I was the youngest one. I was the only black one um, as well. Well, um, and I was just like, okay, okay, I'm in this kind of space again, but let me, you know, I'm going to come and talk and share. And she, apparently, everyone was so blown away by what I had to say. I was talking about young people and best practice in the field. And what I didn't know was I was also talking in front of people who was working um, senior in coming to come and share what I've learned and how I teach and encourage others to work right wow so um yeah so at the end of it she just said you know what she's like out of everyone that's spoken today she, she said the people that they've come to talk to me about the most has been you um and she just said there's people that i would seek to impress in here and and you've impressed them too and i was like oh okay you know also and then she said to me i'd like to extend extend the hand of fellowship to you now at the time I'm coming from like the ends, which is essentially fellowship. Is this a cult? Like, what is she talking about? Um, so I remember saying <laughs> to her, I was like, okay, well, I'll just look into it. And she said to me, she said, yeah, yeah. She's like, go and have a look, read up online. And you know, I need to be informed, right? So I just said, I'll go and 
have a think and read up about, about it. And then when, when I saw um, what it was about, I just said, yeah, you know, I'd like to be in. So she invited me in. And because she had been invited in as an honorary member, it meant whoever she extends the hand to, they have to accept them anyway. Oh. So I didn't have to apply. People can apply to go into the fellowship. But it just meant that I just, all I had to do was say, yeah, this is me and this is my work. Um, and that was it. Um, so, yeah, so it's it's been great because I didn't realize at first some of the, I didn't realize at first the how far reaching the fellowship was. I didn't realize how global it was. Um, a friend of mine, I remember going to visit a friend in Dubai. Um, her husband's a, a pilot. Um, for Emirates, so he's gone around to lots of different places in the world. So when we were all catching up, and I'm telling him I'm part of this fellowship, he said to me, "What? Like, what did you say?" And I told him, and he said, "Do you know how many people are in that thing?" I said, "Well, clearly I don't by your reaction, bro." But okay, cool. <laughs> he said, "Just get involved and just meet as many people as you can." I said, "Okay, sure." So for me, it's just been—it's a recognizable hub, of a fellowship that's known. I can put the letters behind my name now, and people. A certain amount of people will know what that means. Um, it can create leverage sometimes in conversations. Um, we also get to have insight to, I pay attention to what topics they talk about because I realize they talk about it in the fellowship before it then starts to be spoken about in the public sphere. <laughs> yeah. So, like, for example, <laughs> I noticed a few years ago. Yeah, I was just watching, like, I remember a few years ago they kept talking about AI. AI is good for the future, AI this, AI that. People were flying in from different parts of the world because we have a member's house in Chancery Lane, mm. which is a historical and kind of rich part of town, right? So I can go and have meetings there. I can go and study there, read there, use the library, whatever. So we'd also hold these events. And because of how much they were talking about AI, I was like, I need to pay attention to this stuff. And within about two years, I then started seeing people talking about AI publicly. You know, like, oh, more AI. So I was like, yeah, pay attention to what they talk about because we just get a little bit of a heads up to essentially what's going to kind of come next. <laughs> and that's always a good thing to be aware of, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Just, wow, just got to watch everything these days. <laughs> Absolutely. So, And it's, it was good because there was only, I didn't realize there was only, um, it was 70% men as well. Ah. So, yeah, so one of the few women, um, and there's a lot of work to be done to change that as well anyway. But yeah, so I'm part of that now anyway. Absolutely. And what I appreciate the most is that the, the person who, you know, uh, I guess recommended you, this, this kind of essentially paid it forward for the type of work that you've been doing. So I, I appreciate that, that her, you know, she was reaching out and then I'm sure in the future you'll be doing the same thing. So I, I just think it's a, a wonderful philosophy to, to be a mentor and to bring people into situations and broaden their horizons because it's ultimately going to make their life better and thus the world a better place. Right. It's like, it's so important that like, I believe, I believe wholeheartedly in that. I always have mentees mm -hmm. <laughs> in my life. I just seem to collect. <laughs> I have it as a, a private and paid service, but I also take on whoever, when I can, basically. Right. So there's a young lady at the moment that I'm helping. Um, 
just to set set up basically initiatives within within the community for young people. So I'm helping her. But I remember with that friend, it was so like I remember she said to me one time, she said, Dan, you have such an incredible mind and a way of thinking of ideas and solutions. And she said to me, Don't let people access that for free. She said, That is a skill set. She said, for a long time, people did not tell me that. She's like, you remind me of me when I was younger. And she's like, do not let people sponge off your brain. She said, the fact that you can think of ideas, the fact that you're solution focused, those are skill sets. And I appreciated the fact that she, you know, took it upon herself to look out for me. And I've had other figures around me that have done that and have said, no, Dan, like, this, this is something that you do. You're great at this and you should think about it with more value or you should, you know, consider it in this way going forward. Um, and yeah, she'd always placed value on me. And the same, the same with her. We've, she's asked me to partner in, in innovation programs before to do with education. And it's an honor for me to do that because her name is known by other positive psychology, psychologists in the field. Mm. So it's like, for me to be, again, associated with her and for her to take pride in my work and I to take pride in hers, and again, it broadens my circle at the same time. Win-win. I like win-wins. Oh, I see. Now you're speaking my language. Because for me, I, I can identify with that as well. And luckily, I had someone tell me, Josh, you have so many innovative and solution-based ideas. So I, me, myself, I'm making a transition to making that you know, uh, a service because that I would have to consider it. And again, someone who I also I know identifies with being faithful it's uh, is definitely a divine gift that I've been blessed with. So I definitely want to use that yeah. to, you know, help as many people as possible, but at the same time also be, you know, an entrepreneur and, and leverage that and be like, okay, I, I should be doing yeah. this full time. And then, because it, it does give me joy. So anytime people are talking about their passions or their skill sets and my ears perk up, I'm, I'm instantly animated. I'm like, Oh, perhaps you should do, x y and z and they're like you know what josh i literally never thought of that yeah yeah it's awesome it's awesome it's just good do you know why because that's a like that's a currency of fulfillment as well you know like people i don't know like i'm passionate right i can't do things half-heartedly it's just it's, it's just not what i'm about. just not like that but you know, it's an amazing thing if you're able to do something that you're passionate about, you'll get, you you know, you'll receive pay for that. And then you're also getting the fulfillment of, of using that gift and seeing how that empowers or equips someone else. You know, it's, it's the best part of both worlds being able to function in that way. And it's, it's definitely worth seeking. You know, I, I always say my, because I've got a degree in law, right? It, I always say it was a family plan. It wasn't what I was passionate about. And it was good that I did the degree because I've learned so many transferable skills and I do a lot of advocacy work anyway in the community as a result. Usually when I'm trying to, when I'm defending someone or when I've written a report, people are always like, okay, Danielle's done it. Like, it's just, you know, like <laughs> she writes it really well. Or okay, <laughs> point in case I understand what you're saying. But, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't for me to go down that particular you know I, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have enjoyed it and I also know people that grind so hard doing things that they hate that are rich but they're miserable like their mental health is like out all the time you know so you you kind of have to be careful but I do think if you're great at what you do then I do believe 
because that money does come and increase and you should also ask and make those demands when you need to as well. There's nothing wrong with both. And I think my my whole thing is I do things that empower and impact the community and beyond that, right? But there's no reason why that shouldn't be well paid at the same time as well. So I do it my way and I, I make money in different ways due to that. Yes, and, and that's amazing because it is important to know your actual worth and value, especially in the marketplace, because unfortunately, like you said, it's to me, it's it's common sense. I feel like for us, it's common sense. Win-win scenarios are the best, but unfortunately in the world today, especially yeah. with the, the hierarchs, they more prefer of a uh, win-lose scenario and, uh, and let's say in a, in a dominant type of way. So I feel like now is the time where we're seeing the transition where people are going to be more open to, especially our generation, to win-win scenarios. It, is, yeah. it makes everything simpatico. It's, it's, it's pleasant. It's brilliant to be around. Yeah. It's, it's great energy flowing <laughs> around. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. That's the currency we want. That's all we want. Absolutely. Well, Danielle, thank you so much for joining us today, all the way from London. And I hope this isn't the, you know, the last time that we do an interview because this has been incredibly joyful. Thank you. Thanks, Josh. So good to see you. I can't wait to see you in person too. Eventually, it will happen. Absolutely, because London is definitely on the on the first first uh, first destination. <laughs> and yeah we'll talk again soon absolutely so enjoy your day and uh thank you once again yeah you too have a good day